Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Strange Matters podcast. Here at Strange Matters, we discuss all that is bizarre, mysterious, and unexplained. In this episode, we're going to be discussing some of the most convincing, interesting, and disturbing reports of real-life zombies. The concept of zombies was originally brought to life in early Haitian culture, where they believed that one could be cursed to walk the earth in a semi-living and semi-deceased state. Most of the zombie topics that we've discussed prior to this episode were primarily based in fiction. However, the cases we'll be discussing today are based more in the realm of reality. And the first story we're going to talk about today is that of none other than Clairvieux Narcisse. Clairvieux Narcisse was a Haitian man born in 1922. While he has an extraordinary story that might lend one to have sympathy toward him, Narcisse was in fact no saint. He was a difficult man to deal with, to say the least. He regularly got into fights and disagreements with his family members, as well as fathering several children out of wedlock. However, he couldn't be bothered to provide for them or contribute to the family in any way. He was excessively focused on money and would do anything to obtain it, usually at the expense of others, which caused much discontent from fellow villagers who would look upon him with jealousy and hatred. Now, Narcisse, as the story goes, was cursed by a powerful bakor, which is a Haitian term for a voodoo sorcerer. And this curse is said to have turned Narcisse into one of the earliest recorded accounts of a zombie. So Narcisse, at the age of 40 years old, became severely ill in 1962. He checked himself into the Albert Schweitzer Hospital in Haiti, complaining of a fever and body aches. Two physicians took charge of his care, both of whom were either American or trained in America. He was diagnosed with hypotension, which is low blood pressure, respiratory disorders, and pulmonary edema, which is fluid in the lungs. He also was diagnosed with several other problems. Narcisse's condition continued to progress, and eventually he began to experience tingling sensations throughout his body, which he described as insects crawling under his skin. As he grew closer to death, his lips became cyanotic, or bluish. Eventually, Narcisse succumbed to his illness, and a few days after being admitted, he was pronounced dead. And this is confirmed by his official death certificate and the 24 hours he spent in the morgue prior to being buried. His sister Angelina was distraught, naturally, and cried at his deathbed, an experience that's not easily forgotten. His other sister, Marie Claire, made official the death certificate with her thumbprint, and the next day they both buried Clairview in the ground the end. Or at least it was supposed to be. Eighteen years later, in 1981, Angelina was strolling through a market area in Lestier, Haiti, when something caught her eye. She screamed. There, stumbling through the crowd in front of her, and for the first time in 18 years, she came face to face with her vacant-eyed brother, Clairview Narcisse. Now, I'm sure some of you are wondering how this is possible. This is, in fact, a true story, and not the stuff of folklore. However, many people have their doubts. The logical thing to do is to ask the question, how do we really know, after 18 years, that this was in fact the man that had been pronounced dead and buried? I mean, a lot can change in 18 years, and perhaps it was an imposter. This question was answered by a Haitian psychiatrist named Lamarck Duyon, who created a questionnaire that could only be known by the original Narcisse. And the zombie version answered all the questions correctly to the letter. Dion also collected a group of 200 friends and family members to confirm his identity. 
not to mention the obvious resemblance he bore to the person that he once was. Furthermore, when Narcisse first confronted his sister in the marketplace, he referred to himself by a nickname that had not been used since he was a young child, and he was the only one who would have known this nickname. There was little doubt in anyone's mind at this point that this was in fact the same person. This case attracted much attention from all over the world, and various television networks, magazines, newspapers, and universities sent reporters and investigators to Haiti to collect information on this seemingly nature-defying case. So what exactly happened to Narcisse? What caused his mysterious sickness? And how is it that he came to life 18 years later? According to Narcisse, he remembers everything that happened to him at the hospital, despite being unable to move or speak. Not only does he remember them verbally pronouncing him dead and the sheet being pulled over his head, but what's more macabre is that he was actually awake when they shut the casket over him and buried him in the ground. He even possesses a scar that he claims was from a nail that missed its mark and punctured his forehead. The Bakor, a practitioner of the Vadun religion, from which the term voodoo is derived, according to legend, he gave Narcisse a particular potion. The potion was made of tetrodotoxin and bufotoxin, which come from the puffer fish and bufo toad, respectively. The potion also contained various other excipient ingredients. Now, tetrodotoxin is a poison found in the liver and gonads of certain fish, primarily the puffer fish, and also some amphibians. And while in many cases, it, if ingested, it can be fatal, the idea here is that this toxin, if prepared carefully, can be used as a paralytic agent. By paralyzing certain muscles, it can slow the heartbeat and respiratory rate to nearly undetectable levels. This is what caused Narcisse's symptoms and ultimately led to hospitalization and his subsequent death, which I have in quotes because it's believed that Narcisse never actually in fact died. The combination of toxins brought him very close to death and put him into a trance-like coma in which his vitals were undetectable. However, he was conscious enough to remember details about what was going on. Now, even the most competent medical practitioners would have likely agreed that the man was no longer alive. Shortly after his funeral ended and the remaining family left the cemetery, the Bacor visited the site and had Narcisse's body dug up. He removed Narcisse from his coffin, beat him profusely, gave him a strange potion and forced his weak and shambling body to a sugar plantation where Narcisse would be forced to toil for two years. Now, during this time, he would be given regular doses of other strange potions that would keep him in a confused and minimally functioning state. Now, this potion was believed by many to go by the name of Deterostromonium, which is also known as Jimson weed. Jimson weed is a plant that contains atropine and scopolamine. It's commonly consumed for its hallucinogenic properties. However, it can frequently cause memory loss and confusion. This, combined with a certain degree of brain damage that was likely sustained by his time in the coffin from lack of oxygen, Narcisse was able to move around, follow orders. However, he was unable to act and think of his own accord. He was at this point in time, by all definitions, a complete zombie. The next logical question to ask is, how did Narcisse manage to return to his home? After two years of slavery, the Bacor died, and Narcisse was able to go free. It's unclear how the Bacor died. 
Some believe he died of natural causes, while other stories exist of Narcissus' co-zombies beating the Bacor to death with a hoe, which is probably the more satisfying story. Regardless of the cause of death, Narcisse and his fellow captives were all able to finally escape the clutches of this early-day, now-deceased con artist. Sixteen years after the Bacor's death, Narcisse managed to return to his family in Lestir. Why did it take him sixteen years to return to Lestir? While working on the plantation, Narcisse had discovered that it was likely his brother who was responsible for the encounter that initially led to his poisoning caused by a property dispute. Of course, land was a major commodity in Haiti at the time. As previously described, Narcisse was by no means a good man. However, his most grave infraction was when he refused to give up a share of his land to his brother, who was actually trying to support his family. This greed is what ultimately believed to have led to his zombification. So at the time... He decided that it would be safer to avoid his hometown for fear of a repeat encounter of the sort. In the meantime, he kept in close contact with some of the locals in order to monitor things that were going on in Lestir. So instead of confronting his brother, he simply wandered around the outskirts of the area begging for food and change until he finally heard of his brother's long-awaited death. Some people believe Narcisse was kept in his trance by the Bacor through more of a placebo effect brought on by strong cultural beliefs and amplified by the neurotoxin. This combination made him believe that he was under the control of the Bacor and that his soul had actually been stolen. It would be naive to deny the power that was granted to these sorcerers by the fierce Haitian belief in voodoo. This belief dates back nearly 500 years and stems from a much more ancient belief in African spirits. The word zombie comes from a word, nizambi, which literally translates to spirit of a dead person. This belief came from a mix of Catholic beliefs from Europe and other fragments of spiritual traditions that culminated in the concept that if a person died, their spirit would return to an idealized Africa, but those who committed suicide to escape the horrors of slavery, would paradoxically become living dead and trapped in an even worse form of slavery for the rest of their life. This concept was revived centuries later by the Bakor, who were thought to possess the power to reanimate corpses with their dark magic and enslave them. And this was the culture in which Narcisse was raised, and it seems unlikely that he would have any motivation to lie about his experiences. On the other hand, it seems likely that the said zombie-like slaves would not be the most physically well-functioning laborers. They would likely be weak and easily confused. At the time, there were very high unemployment rates in Haiti and probably no shortage of labor. This suggests that it would probably be more efficient for the Bacor to just pay laborers to work on his plantation. Unfortunately, Narcisse is not the only case of people being drugged, presumed dead, buried, and then revived for the purpose of being enslaved to other people. As a matter of fact, there have been numerous reports of this occurring. However, it is of note that these cases all pretty consistently exist in Haiti alone, and is believed to be a byproduct of these rich cultural beliefs, limited medical knowledge, and deep superstition. Exposing someone to the above chemicals would likely produce similar medical effects, but 
ultimately wouldn't produce a zombie to the degree that it does in Haiti. Now, some people argue that the combination of toxins and the amount of time spent in a coffin underground is more likely to have just killed Narcisse. Haitian funerals are known to go on for several days while the families mourn the law. However, in all my research, I haven't heard of any other logical explanations for Narcisse's particular story. <clears throat> Next is the case of Rudy Eugene. Now, this was a 31-year-old male who was known as the Miami Cannibal. On Memorial Day weekend in 2012, some very unusual and sickening events were taking place that Saturday afternoon on the MacArthur Causeway near Miami Beach. The last that was ever heard of Rudy Eugene was from his on-off girlfriend who had a brief exchange with him as he said, I'm going to be late, I love you, and I'll be back after rushing out of the house at 5.30 a.m. and then calling her to let her know that his car broke down. Time ticked on, and she didn't hear from him, so she went out to search for him, anxiously calling his phone continuously and leaving messages. After spending most of the day out looking for him, she returned home and cut on the news. A breaking story spoke of a nude man who chewed the face off of another man. Mildly disturbed and completely oblivious, she went to sleep and continued her search the next day. All day Sunday was spent searching for him as well, however, no luck. Monday morning, she got a call from a family member informing her that Rudy was dead. Shocked and confused, she went to meet with the grieving family and learned that he was, in fact, the one who had been on the news the night before, gnawing the face off another innocent homeless man. The girlfriend, who remains anonymous, thinks the only thing that could have caused Rudy to commit such a horrific act was if he was drugged or cursed by voodoo. As she stated, that wasn't him, that was his body, but it wasn't his spirit. She was under the impression that Rudy only used marijuana and was actually trying to quit. She claimed that he even refused to use over-the-counter painkillers like Tylenol, and that he was a sweet well-mannered individual. However, I believe the victim might disagree with this statement. Investigators were dumbfounded and hospital workers were sickened. This was one of the most vile and disturbing things they'd ever encountered. The victim, Ronald Popo, was now presenting to the hospital with nearly 75% of his face chewed off by the Miami cannibal. Popo had been living on the streets for 30 years. Estranged from his family, and his sister was convinced that he had committed suicide years earlier. The sister, Antoinette, was shocked to learn that he was in fact still alive, and now clinging to life in the ICU. Footage of the event was released as the now 65-year-old Papo was carried away on a stretcher, conscious and still moving his arms, which were later strapped down to keep the man stable. Unfortunately for any of you who are interested, most of the action is blocked by an overpass. However, at one point in the video, you can see the legs of the two men lying side by side on the sidewalk. The attacker, Rudy, was thought to have attended a weekend beach party before making the three-mile trip home on foot, in spite of his broken-down purple Chevy. He took off his clothes and tossed them across the causeway before jumping on the homeless Papo, who was innocently sleeping on the train tracks. He then proceeded to strip Papo, beat him, then mount him, and began chewing his face off. Multiple witnesses called the police. 
In the video footage that was captured, you can see a white car slow down as it approaches the scene. Then once it realized what was happening, the driver sped off into the distance. One biker shared with reporters that he witnessed Rudy stand up and face him with pieces of flesh hanging out of his mouth, and then he growled and resumed his activity. He also stated that it was one of the most gruesome and traumatic things he had ever seen. Twenty minutes later after the initial call, the police shouted at Rudy to cease, but the seemingly possessed man simply stood up, growled at the police again, and then resumed his meal. Unable to stop the man, they were forced to take lethal action and shot Rudy to death, saving Papo's life. As Papo was carried off on a stretcher, the lifeless body of Eugene Rudy lay motionless on the sidewalk. Papo's face was eaten down to the skull, with only his goatee remaining. Miami police said it was one of the most gory scenes they had ever encountered. So what could have possibly caused this bizarre behavior to occur? Was it drugs, or was it an actual voodoo curse? As we learned earlier, some people hold more stake in the concept of voodoo curses than others. Naturally, police investigators assumed that the attacker was under the influence of some sort of illicit drugs. It's thought that he had been under the influence of a form of bath salts. <coughs> it's thought that Rudy had consumed bath salts, which is a synthetic cathinone, the natural form of which is found in the cat plant, which is very similar to amphetamines and MDMA, and it causes elevated levels of energy and sometimes hallucinations. Now, when people take bath salts, their body temperature rises, which causes them to tear off their clothes and become aggressive, delirious, and sometimes extremely strong. It's also referred to on the street as the new LSD, and has been causing a lot of ER visits in recent years. However, toxicology results for Rudy will later prove to be negative. What then is the possible explanation? I think it's possible and maybe even likely that the drug results were actually a false negative, which does occasionally happen. The toxicology reports showed only trace amounts of marijuana, which likely could have been from smoking pot up to several months before. False positives and false negatives are uncommon, but not impossible, and any sort of tampering, whether intentional or unintentional, with the test result could have resulted in a negative read, when in reality, it actually was positive. Based on the attacker's recent visit to a beach party where he was likely engaging in recreational activities and possibly drugs, combined with his history of drug use, lack of income, troubled social history. All this leads me to believe that he was under the influence of some sort of substance. And the behaviors he displays pretty closely resemble that of a person who was using bath salts. Bath salts are not the only drug that causes users to behave like zombies. Crocodile is an opioid drug of abuse that rose to fame in areas of Russia. It's popular because it has an extremely rapid onset and offset of action. This makes it an ideal drug for achieving a potent euphoria. However, it's also extremely addictive. The problem is further perpetuated by the synthesis of the drug being extremely inexpensive and very simple. Despite all these qualities, the drug is only recently being rumored to have resurfaced in the United States, which is ironic given that it was first designed and patented under a different drug name in the U.S. in 1934. The crocodile actually gets its name from the effects it has on users' skin. 
It has a horrific effect as when injected, it can cause a gangrenous necrosis of skin tissue, which causes the users to look similar to crocodiles with their scaly green decaying skin. It literally destroys skin tissue from the inside out, resulting in open sores and lesions on the user's flesh. In severe cases, it can leave exposed bones. Now, despite this euphoria, people who inject crocodile usually become incoherent, mumbling and stumbling and jutting around in a manner similar to that of a zombie. So technically, while these people are alive, their life is unfortunately pretty much over. Now, I'm not suggesting that Rudy was under the influence of Crocodile, as that would be highly unlikely. However, I do believe that his actions were the result of some sort of drug, as there's little else to explain his strange behaviors. So that wraps up this episode of the Strange Matters Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you'd like to send us feedback, questions, or comments, please feel free to do so. You can do that at our website, strangematterspodcast.com, or you can send us an email at strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. And thanks again to all of those who support us on Patreon. If you're interested in becoming a patron, please check out our Patreon page. And be sure to check us out on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. Take care, guys.